he started laying this message on my heart and immediately the enemy steps in and starts attacking me. You can hear it in my voice. He started with this sore throat and, and feeling bad all day long. I battled this at work all day today, 10 hours at work. But I know that this message is for right now and I know I'm supposed to come tonight and speak this word because that's what the Lord laid on my heart. So I'm here before you tonight. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips for service to your kingdom. That would be a mouthpiece for what you would have spoken to your congregation. Lord, I pray that we would receive it as a people, Lord, and learn how to perfectly apply it. Teach us how to perfectly apply it to our lives in these last days. And we give you all the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever been in a courtroom? Anybody ever been in front of a judge in this house tonight? I know I have. It's always a nerve-wracking ordeal, ain't it, when you get in front of a judge? It's, a, it's surreal knowing that that man or that woman behind that bench holds your life in their hands. They, they, hold, they have authority and power to depict the outcome of your life. They, they have your future, so to speak, in their hands. Tonight we're going to look at a criminal court. And how many of you have found yourself in a criminal court, like I asked? Depending on a lot of factors, how favorable or unfavorable your outcome or your future will be rest in the hands of that judge. And, and a, a lot of different factors weighs out that outcome. The, the judge has the power and the authority to have mercy on you or make an example out of you to give freedom or take it away, to speak life or death over you, so to speak, and literally depending on the offense. These factors are the following, but not limited to the evidence against you, your past criminal history, your caliber of defense attorney, all the way down to the mood that that judge might be in at the time that you go before him. I've, I was in a courtroom one time, in a county near here, and, uh, and I was on criminal charges, and I remember sitting there, and this guy got up in front of the judge, and he had no respect whatsoever. He called him man and dude, and that went about two times, him calling that judge that, and uh, he got the book thrown at him right in front of me. And I remember the fear that set in in that moment. Oh, my gosh, this guy done made the judge mad, and here I am. I'm going to be going up in front of him next. So that these factors... Weigh in on an earthly judge on, on how your outcome might turn out. So on a court, we have a judge, we have a prosecuting attorney, we got a defense attorney, and we have a defendant. We've already talked about the judge. So the prosecution, or the one bringing forth the charges, is representing the state. The defense is representing the defendant. And more times than not, the caliber of your defense is based on the amount of money you have to spend on one. That's how it goes in this country. If you have no money, you're appointed a public defender to represent you, and usually they don't put up a good fight on your behalf. They, they usually uh, just try to get you to settle for a plea offer or whatever the case might be. The defendant is the one facing the charges who is also known as the accused. I want you to pay attention to that tonight. That, that stuck out to me like a sore thumb. They are known in the dictionary as the accused. 
when, you, when you're in a courtroom and you're sitting there and you're, and you're the attorney, whoever it may be, you are the accused. You're the one accused of these charges that the prosecutors brought against you. And in this country, you're innocent until proven guilty, but you stand accused of the charges in that moment. Now we're going to enter into the courtroom. You know the one where the judge is the father. Jehovah Hashapet, I believe it is pronounced, which means the Lord our judge. He's the one that's going to set a judgment one of these days, and he's going to, he's going to weigh the account of everything that you've, every opportunity that you've ever had to come to Christ if you're at the white throne judgment, which I hope that you are not at that white throne judgment. At the other judgment, you're going to get weighed on the good that you did, on the works that you've done for the kingdom. But either way it goes, you're going to sit in front of a righteous judge. You're going to sit in front of a holy father that is going to judge you one way or the other. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. He had plans for your life, plans for you to prosper, and plans for a future for your life. Whether you believe it or not, God has plans for you. He's got a future in mind for you. There is a calling on your life. And Satan would love to deter you from your calling. He would love to beat you down and keep you under his thumb where you never realize the good plans that God has for your life, where you never come to realize the calling that God has for you in the kingdom. Excuse me. This is the father, the one who gave his only son so that we might have a relationship with him. A righteous judge he is. He's not like these earthly judges. Though you, you see he's no respecter of persons. He can't be bought. He shows no partiality. Thank God he can't be bought with a bribe like some in today's judges. He can't, you, you can't fool him. You can't snow him. He knows all. He sees all. Romans 2, 8 through 11 says, But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. The prosecutor is the enemy. He's your adversary. He's the destroyer. He's the father of all lies, and he's the accuser of the brethren. Isn't that fitting that the prosecutor, the one bringing forth charges, is the accuser of the brethren, and us as defendants are standing as the accused? This snake will deceive you. He'll attempt, he'll attempt to corrupt your mind and lure you into temptation by learning your own desires. And without Jesus as a solid foundation, you will fall. Inevitably, we do not stand a chance against Satan without Christ. We stand no chance. You will fall without Jesus. Satan is his cunning, and he will, he will come at you subtly. He'll never come at you full bore face on. That's not his style. He's a backbiting dog. He's the one that comes up behind you and whispers in your ear and tells you things that's not true about yourself. He'll beat down. He'll destroy your character. He'll attack everything about you and make you feel like you're useless and worthless. I'm here to tell you tonight there's one who came. There's another one who came. And he defeated Satan. He took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father tonight, interceding on your behalf. 
glory to God. James 1, 14 to 15 says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire. Satan knows you better than you know yourself. He studies you day and night. If you think he don't know you, you are deceived once again because he will plot, employ, and, and find every little thing that makes you tick, anything that will make you mad that will get you to go against the will of God. He's going to find out what it is and he's going to start poking and prodding at it. He's going to entice you. Then when desire, is in James it says, is conceived, it gives birth to sin. That little innocent thing that you started looking at, maybe, I don't know what it was, maybe it's porn, maybe it's a violent movie, a horror flick, whatever it may be, maybe it's Harry Potter, maybe it's something that your kids are watching that you don't realize that it's Satan inching his way into your household with witchcraft and things of this nature. He's a backbiter. You need to know your enemy tonight. And it says when desire is conceived and it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. He's not talking about just physical death. He's talking about spiritual death, complete separation from the Father. And if any of you know what it means for God to take his hand off of your life, it is a scary place for you to be. The enemy will enter in and he will, he will twist things around you and his demons will torture you and torment you day and night. I have been in the middle of it. The night I, fe- I, I, I came to Christ, I remember it so well. I was at 1512 Truman Street on Southside Popper Bluff, Pastor Randy, Pastor Miller. I was at the back door. I was buying an old washer and dryer set that I had bought and I was at the end of my road, brother. I, was, I had hit the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. I couldn't stand my life. I hated the man that looked back at me in the mirror. I wanted it to be over. I was done. I was sick and tired and fed up. I'd been up for days on end, and Satan was having his way. And my mind, God had took his hand off of my life. And Satan and his demons had come in and started to just pick and prod at my mind and pull, and pull me apart. And I remember in the middle of my pit... I remember in the darkest hour of that night, beside that washer and dryer, my sister had sent me some worship music. And the Lord led me to a worship song on YouTube. I don't even know how I got there, brother. I don't even know how it come up on my phone. But it started playing. It was called Oceans by Hillsong United. And it started playing. And the Spirit of God entered that house in the darkest hour of my darkest moment in my life. And I cried out to God, and I hadn't felt this spirit for years on end, and I cried out to God, and the God I thought had abandoned me and was not there no more, he showed up in the darkest hours of my life. He come right into that room. He wrapped his arms around me, and I felt peace like I'd never felt before in my life. I grew up, my dad was a Pentecostal minister. I've heard the Bible my whole life and it never stuck. I never, I played around with it. I flirted with it, but I never took it seriously, brother. Not one time that I ever took it seriously. I drug off into drugs at a young age and 15 plus years in a row, Satan drugged me through the mud, but I hit the end of it that night, brother. I hit the end of it that night. And in that moment... As Satan was all around me, that that song that says that when the enemy surrounds you, 
when you're surrounded. This is how I fight my battles. I, I start praying. I, I didn't even know how to pray, brother. And I cried out to God in that moment. And within minutes, he made a way of escape for me to bolt out of that situation and run to my mom and dad's house where I knew that there was a Pentecostal minister and my Pentecostal mom that had been praying for me for years on end. It was a place, a safe haven for me. I knew the spirit of the living God was in that house. I went running in there and I asked my dad what I need to do. He said, son, you know what you got to do. I've been telling you for years what you got to do. I made it to True Vine Ministries that Monday night. Two days later, I made it there. And they gave the altar call. And I remember I heard so many preachers talk about it. You take one step in faith and God will carry you the rest of the way. I don't even remember it, brother. I know I took one step out. And before I knew it, I was on my knees at the altar. And I gave my heart to Christ that night. He has never stopped working on me. He's never stopped loving me, even in my darkest moments. But I learned shortly, that verse right there in James, that, that Satan knows you better than you know yourself. When Even as I gave my heart to Christ, the war wasn't over. It just got started, brother. It just got started. He started coming in, and the four-letter words I used to use... They, they started to come out of my mouth every so often. But there was something different, Brother Miller. There was something different when it did at work. When I'd hear those words from those guys, it would cut me like a knife every time I would hear those words. And then when I said those words, the Spirit immediately hit me like a ton of bricks that I should repent. And over time... It, he started to just heal me a little here and a little there and started to mold me and shape me into what he wanted me to be. And that's what he's doing with each one of us. That accuser that keeps pointing his finger and keeps beating you down. There is a savior that gave everything for you to come into a right relationship with the father. For him to mold you and shape you into what he wants you to be. Satan's going to tell you that you'll never live up. You'll never live up to it. You should just go back to what's easy. Oh, how many times have we heard that? Just go back to what's easy. It was real easy for me to numb all my problems away. It was real easy, but there was, there was torment in that. When you go back to what's easy, but as soon as you do, the accuser... The backbiter, he's going he's gonna to start to beat you down as soon as you do. He's going to start to degrade you for the falling that you just, you just got lured into by his own temptation. Not only this, but, but he's accusing you to the Father in heaven. We see in Job, in Job 1, 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Here is Satan sitting in front of God, attacking the character of Job. Accusing him. We know the story. Satan says, let your hedge down from your servant and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. That's what Satan said. That's what Satan's saying about each and every one of us tonight. He, he, is, he would love for, for God to be able to, to, to test you or try you in a way or for him to be let loose to test you and try you and you fall. And then he gets to degrade you and drag you through the mud. You see, church, just as we talked about earlier, the enemy's gathering, gathering evidence against you. 
whether it's in the present or in the past, he's attempting to bring up charges against us to the Father. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That past person you used to be, that stuff that you used to do, when, it, when the enemy comes in and tries to tell you who you used to be, you remind him of his future. And where he's fixing to end up in a short amount of time. You remind him that you're a child of God. That if God is for you, that no one can stand against you. The defense attorney is the son of the living God. (laughs) I want you to get in your head what a courtroom looks like. And I looked this up online. I was trying to think back from my young and dumb days. And I looked at this, I looked at this courtroom and I see, the, I see a bench setting up where a judge sits high and lifted up, brother. High and lifted up above everything else in that room is the bench where the judge sits. On the right hand of the judge is the defense attorney and where the defendant stands with the defense attorney. On the left hand side is where the prosecutor stands, the one accusing you, the one bringing charges against you. Your defense attorney, he is the rock of our salvation. He is our redeemer. He's our deliverer. He's our strong tower. He's our very present help in time of need. He's our hiding place. He's our mighty counselor. He's the lion and the lamb. He is the best defense anyone could ever have. You see, there's other high-caliber earthly defense attorneys and high caliber, they, they might just leave you high and dry. They might just not have, you might just not have nothing to show for it. There's no guarantee that you're going to get off of these charges. They have your future in their hand. But I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, with Jesus Christ, as the best public defender that has ever been, see, he doesn't cost anything. Salvation is free. Christ already paid the price. Our defense attorney's never lost a fight, not one time. He's never lost a fight, but it's ultimately, it's up to us. As the Spirit of God won't force itself on us, but as he draws you towards the mercy seat, as he draws you towards the foot of that old rugged cross, where his precious blood still flows today for the remission of sins. He leaves us with a choice to choose then who we will serve. Brothers and sisters, if you'll die out, if you'll surrender to Jesus, if you'll stay on the narrow path, your future is guaranteed with a righteous judge that cannot be bought, that cannot be swayed. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Is the narrow way hard? Yes, it is. But I'm here to tell you tonight that I have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The word says that a brother will go to war for you. And what do you think Jesus is going to do on your behalf of a brother will go to war for you? How, how much do you think that defender is going to go to bat on your behalf at heaven? He's, gonna, he's standing at the right hand of the father. And as the accuser is bringing charges, he's saying, no, uh, nope. My son and my daughter's covered in the blood. That's already in the blood. That was the past. That's who they used to be. That ain't who they are today. They're blood-bought, they're born-again children of the Most High God. That's the kind of defense attorney you have. 
He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. Brothers and sisters, we're to not grow weary of doing good, for we shall reap if we faint not. Don't give up, church. Jesus is on the way, and we have to be about the Father's business until he comes. The number one public defender that ever was or will be not only will defend you in truth to the accuser when you're truly saved, but he took the punishment that was meant for us as sinners. Not only will your defense attorney be the best defense attorney you've ever had against the brethren, but he's the one that took the charges that was meant for you. He stood in the gap and took the punishment that we deserved. I'm not worthy here tonight. I'm not worthy to stand up here. But, and as I was sitting in that seat right before I come up here, I said, God, I'm not even worthy to stand on this platform. I spit in your face. I ridiculed everything that you ever taught early in life. And he said, I called you. And that's why you're worthy. I called you. You're not worthy apart from that, but I called you. If you're a blood-bought, born-again child of God, tonight God called you. He says you're worthy. Isaiah 53, 3 and 6. Many of us know this scripture. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes tonight we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took the charges of all of mankind. He stood in your place. He stood in my place because he loves us with agape love, unconditional, crazy love that we cannot even fathom. How do we know that? Romans 5 and 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but that night at 1512 Truman Street, I found out what that scripture meant right there. Has the love of Christ wrapped his arms around an old sinner, an old junkie, a needle junkie. I, I wasn't good for anything to anybody that loved me, but I had a family that stood beside me when no one else would. They prayed for me over and over again. And I met Jesus that night and I found out what that scripture meant right there. In closing, in a courtroom, the judge is high and lifted up in the center of that room as we talked about. On his right side is the defender. On his left is the accuser, the prosecutor that brings forth charges. That we as the accused are have you ever noticed that we're always sinning on the defender's side? We're always on Jesus' side. No matter, no matter if we're a sinner or saint, we're sitting in judgment on Jesus' side because we're all meant to be in, re in relationship with the Father. He never meant that any of us would fall short. We, and hell was not meant for us. It was meant for Satan and his fallen angels. And we are all going to sit there with Jesus. But it's up to us. He gave us free will to choose. He can't save us unless we surrender. Unless we completely surrender and die out. 
This is proof that we're meant to be sons and daughters of the Most High. Second Peter says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Church, he's looking for everyone. He, his time is short. He's on a short leash right now. And he is an all-out war against families, against anybody that he can drag through the mud and drag to hell with him. We've got to be on the lookout. We've got to be in intercessory prayer for our, our loved ones, for our children, for our mothers and fathers, our aunts and uncles, whoever it may be. Maybe it's our, our co-worker, like brother, me and brother Randy were talking about that stands by us day in and day out. I heard a wise man of God say one time that that lion in Second Peter right there, the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, that he's on God's leash though. He can't do anything he wants to, brothers He's on God's leash. Romans 8, 31 through 33. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That means that prosecutor doesn't hold a candle when he brings a charge against you. If you're God's child, if you're a son or a daughter of the Most High, it doesn't matter what the accuser throws your way. Jesus is sitting right there saying, nope, nope, they're mine. That's covered. Word says it is God who justifies. God's the only one who can set us free. God's the only one who stands in the gap for us. I don't know about you, but I, I, I remember my, my parents and my, my sisters and several others that, that were in intercessory prayer on my behalf. And then you think about Jesus does the same thing. He's in heaven tonight. And he's in an intercessory prayer on each of our behalfs as the accuser is bringing forth charges. Jesus is defending us. Thank you, God. In closing... In prayer tonight, the Lord laid it on my heart. If you've got anything that's standing in your way, if you've got unconfessed sin, if you've got skeletons in your closet or what have you, that if you've got evidence, so to speak, that the accuser is bringing forth to the Father tonight against you, come up here to this altar and lay it down at the foot of Jesus Christ tonight. If you want to intercede on a family member's behalf, maybe you've got a son or a daughter that's being drugged through the mud. Maybe you've got a father or a mother that's being drugged through the mud. I invite you to come and intercede on their behalf. It's not going to be very long from now, church, that we're going to be in front of that righteous judge. I don't know about you, but I've got loved ones that are lost and undone, and I want to see them make heaven. I don't want to see them get left behind. I bless each and every one of you.